0: good news to start is, uh, I don't know if you probably have heard, I'm not sure, Father Kimenton got his visa approved, so he has all his papers in order now, and he should be coming back, hopefully pretty soon, I think uh, July 5th. So after him, I would have to go to Mexico to get my visa approved and solve all my uh, unresolved business with the drug cartels. (coughs) That's that's not true. (laughs) Okay, um, today, this is a topic that I've been kind of holding back at uh, dealing with, uh, mainly because I was trying to mature my thoughts, you could say, uh, because it's a scary topic, and it's about dating, dating for our children. Now, uh, there is a lot of people right now that are dealing with the with situation of children dating, so you might hear this conversation and think to yourself, what is this about me? Uh, but no, uh, the reason why I'm, I'm dealing with it is because there has been a lot of questions that have come up from different ple- people, not only here in this parish, but also in the, in the people that I know from outside the parish. You know, there's a lot of people that are dealing with this problem. Not this problem, with this situation. Now, to me, one of the things that is quite amazing is how much ignorance there is. I cannot speak for the United States because I didn't grow up here. Uh, I know that in Mexico there is a huge amount of ignorance on this topic, like incredible. And I can tell you from my own experience, you know, I, most of the stuff that I know now about dating, about what one should do, I learned it in the seminary here. <laughs> you know, like when I was 30 years old, a bit too late. Uh, and in Mexico, I remember you don't preach, people don't preach about it, don't hear about. It. I think in America also people don't preach about it very often. You know, you hear sermons every now and then. There are some very good recordings by Bishop Sanborn. That I've heard and, and by Bishop Dolan as well uh, but it's usually a topic that you don't want to cover in a sermon because of all you know there's many things that you would not be able to address. The other thing that makes this topic very difficult is the change of culture and this is uh, I must tell you a lot of the things that I'm gonna say you might think like what or other people might think like what And the the thing, what I mean to say by the change of culture is that, as you know, after the 60s, there was that gap where we we basically lost our tradition as families. And that means that a lot of the good customs that there was in a Christian society were lost. This happened in Mexico as well. And now, if you want to bring them back, or if you want to, to address it, you know, people look at you like you are some kind of a, you know, radioactive monkey. (laughs) that was the first thing that came to my mind (laughs) so just to give you a story to illustrate this i've told you this story before i think like a thousand times but have do you remember the story of my grandmother breaking up with her boyfriend or no no oh you haven't heard about this she's like she's like that's a good one This is in the 1920s 1930s my grandmother had a boyfriend and she didn't like him she wanted to break up with him but this is how they dated my grandmother would be inside the house on the side of the window and the boyfriend would be outside the house on the other side of the window and the window had bars (laughs) that were like you, you could only put maybe your hand through it so I mean, even if you wanted to have a, a, you know, give a goodbye kiss, it was like, you would, you would be like, yeah. <laughs> your parents would be able to tell because you would have bars on both sides of your face. <laughs> I guess this is going to be funny. Uh, well, my, ma- my grandmother didn't, couldn't break up with him because he was so nice and polite and courteous. One day she, was, she had her hand on the bar and the boyfriend put her, his hand on her hand. She was like, this is it. Well, who do you think I am? What kind of woman do you think I am? How dare you do this to me? I'll never see you again. <laughs> it's, it's a very funny story, but it, can, it, it tells you like, wow, how different were those things, you know, back then in the 1920s and 1930s. And things went wrong. Even then, things went wrong. But, you know, that, that's just human nature. That's unavoidable. So those are the, the things that make it difficult. Um, I want to begin by saying one, one note here. Of all the things that I'm going to say today, uh, many people might disagree. Parents might disagree. Uh, dating couples will disagree. Um, <laughs> even sometimes from priests, you might not hear one or two of the things that I might say. I'm not aware of any of the priests of our congregation that wouldn't think the same way. I don't know of any. But I know of some You know, in the traditional movement or other places that have given different answers. I'm not infallible, you're not supposed to follow me, but what I want to give you at the beginning of this talk is going to be principles. So I'm going to give you principles that are infallible in a certain way, not in a certain way they're infallible, theologically speaking. And from those principles, you can develop your own conclusions. You know what I mean? Because that's, that's the thing. I mean, if a priest comes and says to me, well, you have to do this, well, I can ask why. And so I'm going to tell you a lot of things, and I'm going to keep going back to those principles so that you see where I get them from. That it's not just, you know, me being bitter or something like that. I do want to say another thing. There will be an objection that the dating people could ask, could say to the priest. They will say, well, what do the priests know? You know, it's very easy for you to say all that stuff uh, because, you know, you don't care about women and you're a priest and you just have to, you know, focus on the mass and you don't care about dating or finding someone. And you wouldn't know what it's like. And to that I will say (laughs) I just want to make sure that there is proper understanding. No, it's fine. Uh, To that I I will say I do have the experience of other people because I, I was the chaperone for all my siblings, like literally, well, except for my brother. But all the boyfriends of my sisters, they knew me and they abhorred me probably, but I was there with them all the time. And I had that experience of basically seeing other people dating because I was there. And also I myself dated. I wasn't always a priest. I only realized that I had a vocation when I was 23 years old. By 23 years old, you know that you have dated several people. You have had serious relationships. I I was in serious relationships. So I do know what are the difficulties and I do know what what you need to do in order to get to know a person and and all those kind of things. And I think it's it's something important to mention because that really gives you a perspective, right? Because I think that that happens a lot where people hear a priest and they say, well, oh, you know, his father saying that. I remember doing that myself. But when you hear that the father actually knows what it's like because he has done it, then, okay, he's talking actually with that knowledge, with knowledge of cause. Does that make sense? Okay, so, I was telling you that we were going to have some principles, and, and I'm going to tell you why I'm not using a particular book. It's very hard to find a book that has details on, on our particular situation. Why? Because if I go to see San Ligori, Ligori, he wrote in the 1700s, in the 18th century, and he will say, uh, people who were date, they are dating to get married. They should date for six months, and they should only meet three times. And after that, they should determine. This is in the 18th century, right? With <laughs> you have to consider. <laughs> yeah. But here's what you have to consider. Back then, everyone was Catholic. Most people came from good families. There were no divorces, basically. So, so basically, it was just to see your compatibility. Is it the ideal? Maybe not. I don't know. That, I'll leave that to God to judge. But you see, I cannot use St. Afonso's I was just talking to a couple the other day, and the first thing that they said is, 2023, come on. <laughs> and if, even if you look at the moral theology books from the 1940s, 1950s, even 1960s, it's, it's very much out of context now, because now we have cell phones, now children have cars, now children are working at 18 years old. There's so many factors that are just different. So is it's very hard to find a book that is very detailed. If you find one, let me know. You can find things here and there. But that's why we're gonna go with principles, and the principles are gonna give us the rest of the conclusions. I'm gonna to have to set it up here because this is all, all of that I'm going to write. The first principle, we're going to call it how do you apply the law, the application of law? And this means, well, I'll explain them afterwards. The second principle is related to how do you handle an occasion of sin. Do you spell occasion with with double S? Okay, I got it right. Or I got it wrong and you couldn't tell, so. (laughs) And the third principle is that decisions are made based on morality, not outcome. These are all very basic principles that you will find in every book of moral theology. And you will see that they, it makes sense. What do I mean by application of the law? The application of the law, as you know, the law applies to everyone, regardless of whether if a person needed it or not. Let me give you an example. If um, I put a law that no one can trespass private property, there might be someone that wanted to trespass private property to take care of something that is broken in my house or to take care of an old lady that, that fell. But still, the law applies to him. And If someone sues him and they prove that he broke the law, I have to... I have to to put the law there, to to punish it. Why? Because maybe this one person, this one guy was good, and he didn't need the law, but then here was the other guy that was going to break into the church and steal all the Catholic wire stuff because he wanted to start his own (laughs) podcast. So, in order to stop this guy, I have to apply the law evenly to everyone. This is very important, and you'll see why. The second one is, how do you deal with occasions of sin? Occasions of sin can be, there's dif- several differences, but there is necessary occasion of sin, and there is unnecessary occasion of sin. When you have an unnecessary occasion of sin, there's no pretext for that. We cannot have it. If I have it, then I'm sinning already by being in it. I'll give you some examples in a few moments. When I have a necessary occasion of sin, I have the obligation, it's a serious obligation, to make this risk remote. And if I don't do that, I'm also sinning. If I I fail to do this part. Let me give examples. Let's say that a person, for example, uh, struggles with alcohol. And and alcohol is an occasion of sin for this person. If this person walks into a bar needlessly for no reason, he walks into a bar knowing that alcohol is a serious temptation for him, that every time that I'm in front of a cup, I drink and I get drunk, he's walking into an unnecessary occasion of sin. Even if he didn't drink, even if he didn't drink, he sinned already by putting himself in that occasion knowingly. Does that make sense? I'll give you another example. Let's say that a man... uh, Let's say that there is a man that is married and there is a girl that is very interested in him and she's single and she lives alone. And the guy says to himself, I'm not going to do anything, but I'm going to go hang out with her in her apartment. But I'm not going to do anything. I have a resolution. And he goes in there and he doesn't do anything, but he put himself in an unnecessary occasion of sin. Serious. That would make him sin in that moment. (coughs) When it's unnecessary occasion of sin would be when you can't avoid it, for example... If the person that has problem with alcohol works in Walmart and every time that he walks by the aisle with alcohol he gets tempted, but he needs that job. It's necessary. There's nothing he can do. What must he do? He has to make it remote. He has to avoid walking by that aisle or trying to pray extra hard or trying to put some meats. Does that that make sense? A priest, for example, might need to visit a lady that lives in, in in a house by herself he has the obligation to make that remote somehow, whether it be by taking her out of the house and talking with her outside, or making sure that someone is there, or is, is about to be there pretty soon, or something like that. Does that make sense? Okay, this is very important to understand why we make the rules for dating. And then the third one is decisions are made based on the morality of the situation, not the outcome. What do I mean by that? That when I have a situation and I have to make a decision, The only thing that should affect my decision is what's right and what's wrong not what's going to happen for example if a person comes to church here and they tell me father uh can i wear you know i don't know leggings to to this or that i cannot think to myself well if i tell her not to wear leggings she's going to leave the church so i'm going to tell her yes i cannot think of the outcome My only question is what's right, what's wrong, and that's what I have to say. And whatever happens, happens, but I cannot do otherwise. Does that make sense? Okay, these are the principles. That's probably the most uh, boring part of the talk. Any questions so far? Yes. Do you sometimes, though, have to think of charity when you're, I don't know, correcting someone or something like that? sometimes that... You do have to couch it or be a little vague so as not to drive someone away? Yeah, that's a good note to make. Um, so the decisions are made on this. How I apply the decision and how I say it is a different matter, right? So, um, you know, it, it would be different if this lady comes to ask me if, if she can wear leggings and I go like shh, lighting the fire and it's like there's the wood, go stand over there, I shall burn you in a moment. <laughs> you know. Or, you know, just shout out to her like, you minion of the devil, get out of my church. <laughs> <laughs> what do you do? Well, you go and talk gently and say, well, think about this. If you do this, people are going to see you this way. You're going to make people sin, perhaps. It's going it's to diminish your dignity as a woman, as a Catholic, as a Christian. You don't want to do that. So, no, we cannot do that. That's very different, right? So the same applies when we're dealing with children or, or young people dating. Yeah, you, it's very important to... to to explain things, especially because people that are dating are usually over 18, and they expect to be treated as reasonable people. And when you explain things like this, it makes a lot, of, a lot more sense. Okay, we're gonna cover several points. We're gonna cover first the purpose of dating. We're going to cover time. What is the proper time to date? We're going to cover the person. you know, What kind of per- people should you date? Should you date? The circumstances, this is a scary one, And then we'll cover some objections, okay? Does anyone have any time restraints? Because this might go a little bit longer, but we'll see. Okay, first, the purpose. Who could tell me if you, I'm gonna put you in the spot. Who can tell me what's the purpose of dating? Or courtship, we could say. to (laughs) To find a spouse, to get married. That's usually our first answer, and it's a right answer, it's true. That's what I would say. As I was preparing this talk, however, I was thinking, I think a better way to say it would be to say the purpose of dating is to discover if marriage is my vocation, which is a different thing, because marriage might not be my vocation. And when I date, it's for the purpose of finding that out. Because if I say the purpose of dating is finding my spouse, it's like I'm getting married no matter what. And so the, the point is, who will say yes? And, <laughs> <laughs> let <laughs> grab some guy in the street <laughs> okay so it really changes your perspective when you say the purpose of marriage let's see if I can write these things here the purpose is to find out if it's my vocation now vocation as you know your vocation is what leads you to heaven and so that's that's the whole point of dating when you're dating someone What you should be thinking is, is this person going to lead me to heaven? Is this person going to help me to lead me to heaven? And that really changes, if you think about it, it really changes your decisions that you make on the whole dating process. As a parent, and also as as for your child. It's not, you know, a lot of children will say, oh, well, you know, I want to get married because I want to feel complete. You know, I want to feel loved and love and, you know, the movies and all that stuff. And I was there. And I think it's very important for children to understand you should be complete and self-sufficient before you even engage in dating. If you're engaging in dating because you are deficient and you need someone to fulfill you, what you're going to find is another person that is deficient. And that's the recipe for a troubled marriage. So it's very important that before you date, you're at a place where you're comfortable with yourself and you have a job and you have realized and you are a person that is mature. Does that make sense? And that's one of the reasons why teenagers don't date. I remember why, or you know, most of the times cannot date. Uh, I remember one time I was talking with the border boys and one of them told me like, oh, I like this girl and whatever. And I told them, you're still on diapers. Come on, just get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> To learn to be self-sufficient first. So, no, it's not to be complete. It's in order to save my soul. And I was saying that this changes entirely my decisions. Because, for example, if I know that the purpose of, of dating is to find someone, to find my vocation, someone through whom God is calling me to heaven, then when I have the, you know, you're all women here, so... When you have the really handsome guy that is very strong and very masculine and, you know, he does all kinds of fun stuff and, you know, all, the, all these things. And then there's the other guy that is not as handsome and is a little bit, you know, has a little bit of a donut in here. And <laughs> but he's very gentle, very polite. He always makes me feel safe, etc. If you're thinking of this, you're going to go that direction. Right. Because you're going to say this is going to be a good family. That guy, I don't know. You know, we'll cover that. Something that I would recommend for those of you, many of you have teenagers that are just about to enter into the dating stage and something would, just as it's any vocation, it would be good to say special prayers and maybe do some kind of a retreat or something. I think I spelled that right, discernment? Maybe not. You know what I mean. D-I-S-C-E-R. D-I-S-C-E-R. Uh-huh. If you're going to become a priest, they tell you, why don't you take some spiritual retreat, you know, pray about it, pray to God if that's your vocation. If, you're, if you want to start dating, that's fine, my son, my daughter, why don't you go pray to God, see if that's your vocation, make a spiritual retreat, pray to God that he leads you. Before you find anyone, you know, that's a very good thing to do. If you're preparing for that vocation, do the same thing that you would do with any other. Okay, I, I, I want to make a parenthesis that I always make in this kind of classes or talks. I'm giving you the ideal. see, it's always gonna happen? You know how it goes. This is just like the war, you know, like World War II, they, they would tell the soldiers, this is a plan, you're gonna attack this base and that base and that base. Then they would throw them in there and they're surviving and going like 20 miles away and attacking another base. This is how that goes. But you know what we aim for, right? The next question would be the time. When, what age, at one moment, me, the Romeo, Romeo, Romeo. <laughs> oh, Romeo. Well, it's you. Know, Is Italian accent? Uh, <laughs> what What time can I start dating? And for how long? Okay, here's where we're gonna get into really interesting stuff. Uh, St. Alfonso Ligori tells us six months. Most moral theologians now will say two to three years. I know people in Mexico that dated for nine years. I was like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like okay. Uh, but I'm not gonna give you a hard set rule and here's why, because it might depend on the circumstances. For example, if you guys are dating and you're living next to each other, six months might be enough. If you're dating and you live in Ohio and she lives in Kentucky or you know, in, in let's say, Seattle, and you only see each other twice a year, then maybe you will date for seven years. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So what, what's the factor? The factor will be, Let's say how long, because that's a question, right? How long? The factor is going to be familiarity. Familiarity. Once the dating is too close and you're getting too familiar with each other, when there is danger, there starts being more and more danger, that's when you say, okay, now is the time to make a choice. You gotta get married or not. You can tell that to your children. I don't think that would work out, but you can explain this to them. If you've met a person and you've dated for a long time and you know each other, then you have to make a decision once you start getting too familiar. So if you're dating from far away and you don't have that familiarity, it would be okay to date for longer. Does that make sense? So this is the factor as to how long. At what age? All the teenagers right now in the parish are just seeing black clouds on their heads. And like, What's going on? <laughs> Something's happening. <laughs> did you ever see the Did you ever see the Lord of the Rings? Raise your hands if you did. Remember that scene where like Sauron is getting ready to attack, and there's a mountain, and there's like a big ray of light. <laughs> That's happening right now in the parish, and they're like, "What's going on over there?" Okay. Um, what the usu- what theologians will usually say is. After high school. After high school, I think here in America, with our culture, after high school is when you basically become an adult. That's when you start working, all that kind of stuff. I wouldn't say necessarily right after high school. What is the factor? The factor is going to be maturity. Maturity. Maturity means physical maturity. It means emotional maturity. It means economical maturity. Once I'm, a, when, again, once I'm a person that is complete, that I have something to offer, that I have a future, that I have a career, that I, I, I'm emotionally balanced, you know, I'm, I'm not all the time just in crisis back, for, back and forth, then I'm ready to, to date. Before that, it would be very, very dangerous because I can get married and not have money, you know, all those things, or I can get married being very emotionally unstable. And most of you have experience of life and you know how that goes. If a person marries when he's, they're emotionally unstable, it's very easy for them to to pick someone that also is. Does that make sense? So, it's a good thing for you to explain these things to your children in one way. Let's see. Excuse me, what is the other kind of maturity? Economical, emotional, And physical. Yeah, and that's all. Econom- economical, emotional, physical. If you write a book using this, you have to give me like part of the shares.
1: <laughs>
0: that was my copyright little guy here going, "Hey, hey, hey, watch out!" Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Um, so one one quick note that I missed in here of how long. Why why does it, why do they say three years or two years or whatever? They say 2 or 3 years because usually that's enough time to meet someone, to know someone. And also because past that time, usually you get too familiar. That's how it usually goes. It depends a lot on the circumstances. Now your teenager might say, what, I don't have a job, I'm 18 years old, you don't want me to know anyone, you hate me. So (laughs) the question comes, what happens before? What can I do before? Because you know, I'm Romeo, Romeo? Romeo. Romeo. I'm Romeo I want to meet Juliet but you know okay I won't date her yet we won't kill ourselves but I want to date her. <laughs> so here I'll tell you what Pope Pius XII, Pope Pius XII actually addressed this and he said uh, he said young people should hang out he didn't say hang out but he, they should spend time together in groups you should have groups of people and and them together this is very important, and this is the part where I hear some priests saying other things, because there are places, there are traditional Catholic parishes where they would say, no, you don't talk to a woman until you're ready to marry, and you can't talk to, to the opposite sex or whatever. And that is horrible. That's terrible. I've heard many, many young kids, well, I can't say many, many, but I've heard many, um, that have said to me, they expect us to not talk to them, what happens usually is they go and talk behind the parents backs which turns out to be much worse and if we do the right thing when we're 18 19 years old we have no idea of how to address a woman which is very true you know it when you, when you were teenagers and you know there was the ball or the prom or whatever if you ever went to those and you know half all the girls in here and all the boys over here and the boys are just like it <laughs> <okay. laughs> was like totally lost and it's true. And that's why I find very, very wise uh, what the bishop does in Omaha, where he has the, ch- the children spend time together, supervised for a few, a few minutes every day. That's very, very wise, because then you grow confident, you know how to talk to ladies, they know how to talk to, to men, and so forth and so forth. One thing that has been lost is precisely that, how to, how to be chivalrous and how to be courteous and polite, but that's a different story. So that's what you wanna do, and this is where you see the costumes, for example, in Mexico of the quinceanera. You, you raise your hands if you're familiar with the quinceanera thing. It's where, you know, at the 15 years old, you would have a mass and they would have a party. And here's what the mother would do. They still do it. Well, now it's all mostly lost, but the mother would make the party for the girl. She would dress up. That was like the first time that she got makeup on and all that stuff. And the mother would go and pick up good guys from the parish. And in the party, they had to come and dance with the girl. A waltz. Waltz? Waltz? So it was a very, very decent, very normal thing, you know. And the mother would usually pick, you know, the guys that she knew that the daughter was interested in or, or that she was interested in. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like a social entering. And here's, I insist on that a lot. We're trying to work on it. That's the importance of you as a father or as a mother when your children are at are they, a. Are they, are at a dating age, you kind of have the obligation of making more social things in your home, or, or however you can. And so for example, if I was a father, and I had a daughter or a son that is 18, 17 years old, that's the moment where I have to start saying to people, oh, we're gonna have a gathering here, bring your children, or don't come. You know, because <laughs> that's the whole point. And you do little things, but you do it frequently. Um, the YAG, you know what the YAG is? That's very good, it's a very good thing, but it's once a year, It's it can be awkward, okay okay so no questions or comments so far we're good okay the next oh the next one is good <laughs> <laughs> the next one is person okay who should i date and well the i already mentioned it should be a person of age it should be a person with some economic maturity all those things The point, one point that is very important to make is a person of the same faith, a person that is Catholic. Here, there is a whole problem nowadays, because, as you know, we're in a very, uh, we don't have a lot of choices where we are. You know, I mean, it's hard enough. I was listening to a sermon of Bishop Sanborn, which, again, is very good. The sermon is very good. But I I was, there were a few things that I disagree. I'll tell you which ones is not a big deal. But. He was saying, you know, well, you should date a girl that is modest, humble, you know, w- worker, obedient, uh, Catholic—all these beautiful things. Which I'm sure all the boys are going like, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and then he says, <laughs> he says, and she should be a good cook and know how to <laughs> sew. <laughs> and that's the part where I I, I was th- I disagreed because I was thinking to myself, if I was a guy and I found a girl that was humble, obedient. Catholic all that stuff and she doesn't know how to sew and how to cook. I'll cook. I don't care <laughs> you know? like, I mean my possibilities are already quite reduced. So if I go like oh this is terrible get out of here <laughs> I wouldn't do that. I was talking to someone about that sermon and I was saying I would rephrase that and I'm sure that's what Bishop Sanborn meant I would rephrase that to someone that is diligent, right? I mean someone that that is not lazy um, so our, our, our Opportunities are quite reduced, but I want to tell you what the church teaches, and based on that, you can make your own decisions. Uh, The church, mixed marriages are forbidden by the church. They're not discouraged. They're forbidden by the church. That's in canon law. There are dispensations. For the dispensations to happen, there have to be certain conditions. But that gives us a perspective And what they say in a book that I was reading the other day uh, about the facts of life. It's called The Facts of Life. They say, in order to be able to date someone that is not Catholic, those conditions have to be present. Does that make sense? So, for example, if I'm a young person uh, and, and there is enough people around me and all that stuff, I may, I'm, in order to be able to date someone that is of the opposite faith or another faith, there would have to be some condition that would make the, mix, the mixed marriage dispensable. And if those conditions are not there, then I'm committing a sin. It's actually, this part that of the, the mixed marriages, you read it in moral theology, not in the section of marriage. You read it in the part of this, the sins against faith. That's where you find it. So, this is very important to, to understand what the Catholic Church teaches, because the problem is, if I date someone that is not Catholic, I'm putting myself in the risk of losing my faith. And that's why it's a very serious issue. And one should not engage in that until unless you know, you know what the priest says or what the church teaches. Now, that doesn't mean that all mixed marriages are bad. I'm not saying that. There's a lot of mixed marriages, people that were not Catholic that married and, and, and it worked out. I know some, a few. Sometimes it is necessary. And in our case, in our day and age, I know that many priests would say it is justified because again, we don't have many choices. What I would give you is this. I would give you this as a principle. If someone is dating someone that is a Protestant or a non-Catholic or whatever, there should be a barrier where you say, okay, this is my faith, here is me. In order to get to me, you have to cross this this path. Do you know what I mean? So it's not, we date and then I convert you. Because by the time that you date, you are already attached and you're, you're already in problems. Because how many times have you seen people that are in love breaking up because of their faith? Raise your hands if you can name one. There's a few, there's a few, but but very, very few. How many times have you seen the opposite? People that are in love and that end up losing their faith because they love the person. Galore, all over the place. So as a rule, I would tell your children, if you're first, try the Catholic, obviously. That's, That's your first rule, pray the Catholic. Once there are some conditions for a mixed marriage to take place, then if you date someone else, you tell them, my faith is first, you have to learn my faith, you have to study my catechism, I want to see that you're interested in it, and I I want to see that sincerely, then we can talk about dating after that. Does that make sense? Okay. Let me see if I missed something here. Regarding this, this, this point, I just want to mention uh, a few of the difficulties I go with, with mixed marriage. Uh, one is not only with mixed marriage, actually, just with people that are of the different faith, because you might find someone that is a Protestant and they convert, or, or whatever else, and, and they convert. And then when they convert, you know, they go to baptism and everything, but it's what I call a go-along conversion. You know, I just converted because I wanted to marry you, basically. And so that's difficult. And you, you don't wanna have that either. You wanna make sure that the person actually believes it. But when you have a mixed marriage, there is, people think like, oh, we can make it work out because right now we can. But the thing is, as you well know, once you have children, everything changes. Because when you have children, all the differences of morality, of, of uh, understanding of what's good and what's wrong, of religion, of family, of upbringing, all of that just comes out. And that becomes a huge problem. Especially when there is difficulties in the marriage. You know, for example, when you start having too many, not too many children, but in the, in, the, in, the op, in the opinion of the other person, you start having too many children. And, well, why do we have to do this? And blah, 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 that kind of stuff. Or when the other person doesn't want to go to Mass, and your teenage, teenager child might say, well, he doesn't go to Mass, why do I have to go to Mass? Dad is not going to Mass. Are you really going to tell your child, well, Dad is wrong? You see what I mean? Like this, there is a thousand circumstances that happen like that. There's a question that might come, and this is a good question, I must say. What should we prefer, Novo Sordo or Protestants? Because it's almost as difficult, and I would say sometimes Novo Sordo is even more difficult. And I've heard some priests telling me Novo Sordo would be preferable because they're Catholic. You know, I mean, they want to be Catholic at least, so they're not in the Catholic Church, but they, they want to be Catholic. I would say this, uh, again, uh, when we are talking about mixed marriages or Sordo <clears throat> or Protestants, to me, the main factor to consider here is, is it a danger to the faith? How dangerous is it? Or how opposed? Is he, if he's a danger to your faith you cannot marry at all, but what I mean to say is that's the degree that you measure, right? So for example, <laughs> I need to get it up here. If, I, if, if a person finds a Protestant that is very interested in the Catholic Church, he's not very invested in, in the Jehovah Witnesses, you know, it's been a long time since he's going to church there, but he's actually interested in religion, that's the main thing. That you're interested in religion and you want to know the truth okay there is there's hope in there (coughs) but if this is a person that is very invested in the jehovah witnesses and is never going to change no that's a problem or the other problem that can happen with both novus ordo or protestants is if if it's a person that says i don't care that's not a good sign a lot of people will say well then i can make the marriage work no you can't because if i don't care about religion i don't care about morality and i don't care about anything else basically And so you're going to have a lot of problems in the future. To conclude this part of of the mixed relationships, as you can see, all of these rules of the church are for our own good, for the good of the person that is dating. And it's not easy for the priest to say it, it's not easy for the parents to say it either. But you want to explain to your child why, the why of all these things. Does that make sense? Okay, now let's go to the fun part, the rest of it. Okay, when you're talking about the person, we talked about the faith, that's the main part. I would also say, when you get to know someone, when your child is getting to know someone, to try to make sure that they cover morals, even if he's Catholic, even if he's Catholic, to cover faith, morals, and character. I, my spelling is horrible today. Character? Character? I don't know. This doesn't sound right. Okay. Is it okay? I can't see. Okay, that's good. Maybe it's on purpose. Maybe it's on purpose. It looks like it. It's, it's like the flowers from the altar. When they're older, it's like, they still look good from the distance, so it's okay. Faith, morals, and character. And I say, even if the person is Catholic, because you might find a traditional Catholic that his faith is all over the place. And so if you really wanna marry someone and be happy, you want to make sure, okay, this person is actually strong about their faith. They, they know it. He doesn't have to be a saint. Again, our options are limited. But that at least you know this is a person that, that when he's out of his house or she's out of her house, they will continue to go to Mass. They don't need their parents to be like pinching them to get up on Sundays. Morals, same thing. You, you cover modesty. You cover... Uh, Fidelity and chastity, and that's. I hope I'm not going too fast and all over the place, but when it comes to morals, this is a good thing to tell your child. If this person gets too physical while dating, he's gonna get too physical when he's married or she's married, not only with you. Because if he's not, and obviously that's kind of a rash assumption, but what I mean to say is if this person, when you're dating, doesn't keep the rules, you are to fear that that's going to happen also after marriage, right? I'm not saying that one should be suspicious after you're married. After you're married, suspicions are, there's no room for them. But before you get married, you have to be careful with that. Again, we're not going to find saints, or maybe with what we will, our options are limited, but that's, that's something that you should see. It's a difference if a person, I'm going to be very explicit here, is the children there? No? It's different if a person, when they're dating, they have a slip, they commit something stupid, and then they say, I don't want to do that. That's a very different story, right? And and this is something that you can converse with your child if that happens, not before. Say, you know, your boyfriend maybe went a little bit too far, you know, maybe give a a little bit too too tight of a hug or whatever, and you're like, oh, you know, how dare you, you know, like my grandma. (laughs)
1: Well,
0: if the person is like... I'm sorry, you know, I messed up, not gonna do it again, I'm gonna try real hard, he's going to the sacraments, whatever. Okay, it's a good sign because we're all human. But if a person is consistently, consistently, that's his goal, that's when that's a very, very bad sign. Does that make sense? And I'm being very clear so that you, the mothers and the parents know. Okay. And the other thing that I mentioned was character. You wanna see the character of the person before and you will never see that on the process of dating. This is very important. That's why you get together with families. Because in the family is where you see the character. When you go and visit their family and that kind of stuff. I remember this story. I won't say to who it happened. But you know, it's this girl that is the guy, the guy goes to date the girl and the girl's always like super sweet and super kind. And oh, I love you so much. And oh, you look so cute. And look at this and this and that. look at your arms and muscles. And then it's like, you know, one day he goes to pick up the girl from from her house and he's like, you know, ring the bell and I'll be right there. I'm telling you, I'm going. I don't care. (laughs) I'm ready. It's like, okay. (laughs) that that that's going to be you in the future. You know, I mean, you're going to be the one yelled at. So that's why when you're dating, you want to see the character. And you wanna you want have a couple fights, because that's how you figure, that's how you figure it out. And, uh, and you wanna hang out with the family, because as you see the family, that's what's coming your way. If you're willing to deal with it out of love, that's up to you, but, but at least now you know. Does that make sense? And this is one part that teenagers often miss. Okay, we are almost over. Any questions or coming so far? Are we all terrified yet? <laughs> <laughs> I just see that the moms that have all their grown-up children, they're like, done. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) They're just laughing at you. Um, (laughs) Okay, here comes the the interesting part. This is a part where I think there's a lot of ignorance and and a lot of a lot of people might disagree, but is the circumstances. How should you date? Um, and I'm gonna have to erase this. Do we have the eraser here or over there? The powers of retention of your twins are not too great right now, right? Okay. Because <laughs> they're gonna be like, I remember when he said that. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, circumstances. How should we date? This is fairly, it's fairly normal. Okay, the first one would be that they should never be alone. And I know this sounds harsh. I know that this is like, what? And I'll tell you what I hear, you know, often. Is, uh, My family was traditional Catholic, we never did that. You know, I know traditional Catholic families, they never did that. Nobody does that anymore. My job is to tell you what's, what's to be done, what, what is the right thing to do. Uh, the r- right thing to do is this, they should never be alone. This is where we get to this. Why should they never be alone? Because when you're alone with a person that you love of the opposite sex, that is an occasion of sin. If being, being with that person is an occasion of sin, being alone with that person for no reason, it's an unnecessary occasion of sin. So you have, the, you have the obligation, because dating is an occasion of sin, you have the obligation of making it remote. That means there should always be something to keep you safe. It doesn't matter if they have good intentions or, well, it does matter, obviously, but we assume that they have good intentions. Of course we do. And people say that, well, well I have good intentions, you know, I don't mean to do anything wrong. I, you know, we love each other. We want to be Catholic. Yes, I, I'm not questioning that. I am not questioning your intentions. This is the appropriate thing to do. It is my duty, it is your duty to make the, the, the vocation of sin remote. In the same way that when the priest goes and visits a woman, he doesn't have bad intentions, but he still has the obligation to make that vocation remote one way or another. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't feel good if a priest does that, if a priest doesn't visit single people. Because you know that even if he has good intentions, that looks really bad. And there is a lot of danger. And as saint as he might be, he might fall. The exact same thing happens with my children. As saint as you might be, and I believe that you're a very holy person. You know, I can see the halo on your head. (laughs) It's a question of propriety. I am not questioning your motives. It's a question of propriety. That's the right thing to do. In the same way that it's not right for you to walk in your underwear in the streets, even if you have good intentions. (laughs) It's the same thing. (laughs) My my examples are like way out there. (laughs) Okay. So, never to be alone. Does that mean that we never have privacy? That's the question that they ask. What about privacy, because I need to talk to them about you know, private stuff sometimes. Well, no, you have privacy, but you figure that out in such a way that you're always in the presence of other people, even if it's far away. So for example, they can come and visit home, and they're visiting in the couch or here, but there's people walking by, there's people in the kitchen. They have a lot of privacy, no one's listening to them, unless you have a GoPro and a microphone there. <laughs> but, which I recommend, not just <laughs> Wait, are you
1: kidding?
0: No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> that would be very problematic. <laughs> there's a lot of things you would not want to hear. So, but there's people around, so it's a very safe environment. I, there was a couple, I won't say who, who dated here in the church. That was really neat because, you know, they, they would come and, and hang out in here in the church while I was here, you know, and, and that was a very beautiful thing to see um then another option would be well what if we want to go to the movies or, or you know to this golf or whatever else well you take your little sibling you know uh, robertito who is very annoying and, uh, and he's in the bag like "are we there yet? are we there yet? i want to play too i want to play too" and he's like oh, right. <laughs> and that's a good moment to know the character of the person right you know how he's going to be or she's going to be <laughs> and for example when I, when my siblings were dating They would take me in the back, and they would suffer the ride, and then it would be, okay, you go over there, and we'll be over here. We go to the movies. Well, you go see it, like, over there. (laughs) And we're over here. And we're at a distance. I can see them. They can see me. I didn't care, really. I mean, the boyfriend would tell me, like, you know, go buy this stuff for you, and, you know, get out of here. (laughs) But that's the least, as a parent, that you can do, right? You know, we're going to go, yes. Yes. I'm sure they told me, but I'm sure I didn't care because I was like 12 years old. So <laughs> I was like, I mean, he was like, here's some money for ice cream. <sighs> of course, he bribed me a lot. Uh, <laughs> so you might want to warn your children about that. But you see what I mean, right? Even travel. Hey, you guys want to travel? You're, you're, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. All right, that, that's good. Uh, you go there. We'll meet you there. You know, I mean, uh, we'll... Uh, you'll go with your sister or your brother. That I would be much more wary. You know, like if if people are older and you send them with the sister or the brother because usually people are accomplices, you know, accomplices and and they'll be like, oh sure, you guys go hang out. But I'll tell you an example here again, using my family. My sister wanted to travel to America to meet the family of her future husband. And so that was the case. He was, we're gonna travel for a month uh, to meet his family. And that sounds really nice, but yeah, you guys are traveling together over my dead body, basically. And so my mother said, well, no, I'm traveling with you guys. And my mother did everything that she could. And she went and traveled with them. And she brought me, too, so that they would have to suffer me as well. (laughs) And and she made everything necessary. And and we would be together, the three of us, all the time. We go visit visit your family. You can hang out with your boyfriend, but I'll be there. And I've told you this story before, remember? Of how my mother, remember the story about my mother and myself, or no? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. Uh, one time we got in trouble because we were here in, in Spokane, you know, very conservative, traditional Catholics. And my sister was, you know, uh, nothing inappropriate really, but it was just like she was hanging around with the boyfriend all the time. And uh, there was some rumors started and my mother was very offended because people said like, you know, how can you permit that? Like, they're all the time in front of you and, you know, and they're always hanging around with you and all that stuff and, you know. Because my sister, you know, would hug the boyfriend like this or things like that, and they would be scandalized. And I was also upset. I was with my mother, like, well, maybe they're right. You know, it's kind of like, I mean, you're, you're you're acting like one of the guys. And my mother had been goofy all the trip, just like you know, playing around with them, listening to his music and hanging around all the time. And it was just like seeing James Bond suddenly, because she turned very serious to me, and she goes like, Have you ever seen them? Be anywhere without inviting me? And I'm like, no. I'm there all the time, aren't I? Yes. Because they want me to be there. Yes. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Okay. Uh, mm. CIA stuff right there. <laughs> but <laughs> but very smart. And the point is, is to be made: is this that they should never be alone. There's no reason for them to be entirely alone. Does that make sense? And when your children say, your children might say, Well, you have the occasion of sin that already explains it part of it but then the other thing that they might say is well mom i don't need that or that i don't need that because i'm a very good person i have very good intentions you know me i've always been good you can always say this it's a law i have to apply it to everyone because here's why you might not need it right now your sister or your brother might need it in the future right maybe you're a very holy person but maybe your sister will not i'm not sure and if your sister tells me in the future, well, you let them travel, you let them go out without any company, I won't be able to tell, say anything. So this law applies to everyone, whether if they're good or bad. It's not made for the good, it's made for the ones that might be weaker. But I have to apply it to all, because otherwise I won't be able to apply it to anyone. Does that make sense? And this, uh, while on, we're on this, I want to tell you something else. Apply these laws before they meet someone, because that's a lot easier. If you say to your children, as soon as they're of age, you haven't met anyone, here are the rules. That's how it's gonna be for when you meet someone. That's gonna be very, very easy, because then they'll say, oh yeah, sure, whatever. But then, when they meet someone, they're not gonna tell you, oh, it's because, you know, you hate Ramiro, or you know, whatever. You know what I mean? If you told them the laws in advance, and every one of your, chil- of your children knows that those are the laws, then there's no question of anything personal. If this is a Laws in my house. Does that make sense? Yes. So does that apply as well
1: to like friends that are boys, like 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 they're not dating, they're just hanging. Like, I don't know. I guess that would apply. Like,
2: if a guy and a girl want to hang out, they're just friends. They've always
0: been friends or something. So I think we. We discussed that a little bit before you got here, that if they're not dating, it should be in groups. You know, if they're friends, then they should be in groups. If they're alone, that's dating. Even if they say, oh, we're not dating. No, that's dating, you know? Um, so, because, I mean, how many times, think about your own life. How many times did you want to go out with a one guy, friend, that it didn't evolve into something else, into some interest or, so, or some kind? It always does. And even if it doesn't, again, just for the sake of propriety, Right? Okay, I'll give you a few, a few more isolated rules. Uh, when you have children dating, I find it very important not to leave your house alone. If, if, for example, something might happen where you say, well, I'm gonna travel to, I don't know, Puerto Vallarta, and my daughter lives in Boulder, and, or my son lives in Boulder, and I'm gonna leave my house alone here in Denver. Not a good idea. You don't wanna do that. Uh, don't give them any, any room for anything that would be inappropriate. So either everyone goes, or the house is locked, or, or someone's there in the house, but that, that's a good care to have. It's just kind of a side note. Not as important as the rest, one, rest of them, but it's something that we often don't think of. Another one would be, this is one of those things that you will never find in, in moral theology books. Am I going too fast? We're all good. We're almost done. Would be cell phones. Cell phones and text. this is one of the hardest things right now and and there is many factors that make it very difficult but she locked the door, so (laughs) good. Um, Cell phones are very difficult because they're very hard to control especially once your child is 18, 19, 20 years old you can't really remove the phone because if you do they're gonna anyways buy another one you know and another one and, and hide it and it's like they can find in Walmart, you can buy five new phones and, and have service in all of them, so it's very, very hard. Maybe you can get like an electromagnetic pulse in your house to destroy a mobile. <laughs> <things. laughs> if you find one, let me know. I'll tell you what would, what would be the ideal of how to regulate them would be to say when you're younger and you're not paying for your phone, um, you can have your phone for so many hours, maybe from three to six to seven, after dinner, and then after that, and you give it to me and that phone is restricted it's for you to text and call your friends and whatever because i understand that you know people are weird now they don't talk anymore but by, <laughs> by phone so okay you'll have that but that means i can watch it i can see it you know it's restricted. i had a boy that was under my care and he wanted his phone and during the summer all the boys get their phone so i had to give him his phone but what i would do is that i would tell him okay here's your phone you can use it i'm standing here Like I would be, you know, working on something and I would be like, you know, being able to see anything. So that was to me the the best thing to do. Is that always possible? As I say, when they grow older, when they buy their own phone, it's very difficult. But here's what you want to do, if it's possible. Once your children is able to buy his own phone and pay for it, you want to have a transition where you explain to him or to her. These are things that every adult needs to restrict. It's not a teenager thing. Everyone should restrict their phone. Everyone should have a restricted access to Facebook, to Twitter, to Instagram, if you need it, because if you don't need it, I don't see why. And everyone should have a restricted access to your phone to say, okay, at 7 p.m. or 8, I'm done with it, and i put it away. Every adult, not just children, every adult. So I want you now, now that you're old enough to have your phone, and that I can't do anything to remove it from you, I want you to have that control over yourself. And I ask you voluntarily to do that. You know, after a certain time, come and bring your phone and leave it out here. I'll do the same. I'll put my phone in here too. Because that's something that every adult should do. And that's how you transition to that, and you take control of this. What you want to keep in mind when it comes to phones, keep in mind that children send pictures of themselves. That's very common nowadays. And so don't don't be delusional thinking that it's only going to be texts and phone calls they can send pictures of themselves very, very easily. And they can hide it. There's a lot of things in the phone to hide it. So that's why it's such a a serious issue. Did you hear about the news of the boy that committed suicide? Okay, this is a little bit heavier stuff, but um, to illustrate the point, this boy got into a chat with someone on one of those social apps, and this person sent pictures, and he sent pictures of himself in a very modest fashion. And, he was, was a, what do you call that, a blackmail. He was a professional blackmail artist. So the person told him, you have to pay me $1,000 or i send these pictures to your family. This is a 17-year-old boy. He committed suicide. Yeah, he committed suicide because he was like, I don't want this to happen and I don't know what to do. I don't have $1,000, he committed suicide. So these things can get really, really ugly, really, really fast. And that's where you want to be careful with that. That's the scary part. Okay. Pardon me if I'm going too long. I think it's very important. Um, There's just three more points that I want to make. One is... this and we're all together in the room like this and I'm telling them and I started telling them what you cannot do or rather what you can do when you're dating because they were all older and you could just see their faces going
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was like that's, that's what it is the only things that you're allowed when you're dating and this is in every book there, there's no exception is a kiss hello and goodbye as you would in front of everyone and that's the rule that I always tell people is what you would do in front of your mother and your father when they're all around there and that's the kind of kiss that you can have for hello and goodbye And that's about it shows of affection you know like you know holding your arms or holding you you know a little hug here and there or something like that publicly nothing wrong with that that's all that's allowed if there is anything that happens where you have you experience you know a more deep pleasure let's say it in, in in your body then you're already walking into sinful areas. Why is the church so strict in this? Because as we know, that attraction is very violent in the body, especially at that age. And so if you, if you were to give room for more, it would be very hard for them to stop before something happens. And so the church tells you, no, you stay over here. Because the moment you stay over here, it's like you're in a cliff. You're <laughs> very quickly going down, right? So that's the rule, all, that's, that's what's allowed. And it's good for you to tell your children that, because as much as it might make it bitter for a couple hours, but at least now they know they know what to be careful with, and explain that to them. Explain to them this is for your good. It's to protect you. It's not because you know we're being this or that. It's because that way you protect yourself, and nothing bad happens before you get married. Does that make sense? So this is the one. This is the part where I think there's more ignorance. And the last point that I will make in regards to the circumstances is it's a good thing to introduce the family before dating. That's the proper thing to do. Uh, Ramiro wants to date my daughter, who is very beautiful and smart. Well, tell him to come over here and to ask for permission, and we'll talk to him. and, And yeah, that's great. You know, that's how it should be. And vice versa, you know, well, not the other way around, really, because the guy is usually the one that asks for permission. I'll tell you a funny story while we're at this and we're almost done again with the class. When I was 14, 15 years old, again, I was ignorant of the dating process. So I started writing letters to a lady that lived far away from me, three hours away. And she lived in a, in a ranch. This was Mexican charros. You know what charros is? It's like the guys with the hat. Those, exist. Those are real. This is like an actual Mexican farm of Mexican farmers, you know, ranchers. So I was writing letters to her, and she would write them to me very, very, you know, innocent, beautiful thing. It was more a friendship rather. But I went there once for a wedding, and, and she said, do you want to dance? And I was like, sure. Is your dad OK with that? And she said, yeah. So we got, we got up to dance. It was also kind of like a waltz. And we're dancing. And, and then I, I look at her father. Her father is a full-dressed charro with the gun.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he just looks at me, and he goes. <laughs> With the gun and I just said to her are you sure your, your, your father is okay with this and she said yes and then I turned her over and and she looks at her dad and she goes like we should sit down right now okay?" <laughs> okay. <laughs> a very very formal thing
1: uh,
0: and she that was a very, it was a very good family she was a very 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 good young lady okay so Again, it kind of gives you a little bit of culture, right? That's that's how it should be. You know, he comes and asks for permission before you get serious. Not for friends, but if, if someone wants to get serious. Okay, I have another good story, but it would make the the class too long. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll leave it for the light. I'll leave it for the end. Um, I have to make one parenthesis here, and then we'll go to the objections, and then we're done. Almost. Yeah, I think we're almost done. <laughs> Okay, the parenthesis is this. There is one of those ideas in the culture that I think is not quite right. And it's the idea of when you're 18, you can leave your house. And uh, I would put a couple notes to that. Um, When you're 18, you can leave your house, or I would say, how do you say that? Uh, Overage, older age, when you're an adult, Mm -hmm. there has to be something. There has to be either a vocation calling you, or a serious reason, okay? I would say that you cannot, and many people will disagree with me. I'm sure that even priests might disagree with me on this one. This, this is not something that you see in Catholic countries most of the times. It's exclusive from America, and from America it went to the world. But in other countries, you don't get out of your house, and you're not out of your parents' uh, authority until there is a vocation calling you, priesthood, sisterhood, uh, marriage, or there is a serious reason. You are joining the army, you're going to study in college, you found a really good job that calls you to be somewhere else, something like that. Liberty, or freedom, or whatever you want to call it, is not a good reason. That is not a good reason at all. And you know it. I mean, we all know it. That I remember when I was 18 years old, I was here in Cincinnati, and I wanted to, I called my mom, and I said, like, oh, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to get a job, and I'm going to stay here. And she said, like, no, you're not. <laughs> Uh, Your sister is buying your ticket for you. You're coming back. Uh, Because you know how many dangers there are. Now, people usually argue, well, what about maturity? You know, they need to be mature. They need to learn to support themselves. Well, have them support in the house. You know, if you want them to be mature, tell them, okay, start chipping in. You know, you're working in. uh, This is your percentage of rent, and and you can buy your food, and here's your fridge. And once you have a good reason to, to move out, then you move out. It's the ideal, because I know that your children can very well say to you, well, I don't care, I'm moving out, and he can move out. It's true. But at least you know, this is, I think this is the Catholic way. Because, again, it's not my opinion. Think of the occasion of sin. Is it necessary for that young person to have that serious occasion of sin, of living somewhere alone with his friends, etc., etc.? I don't, I don't see it. Um... Okay, any questions so far? We're almost done, I promise. Um, The next thing that comes is the objections. Okay, the first objection is, times have changed, Father. This is 2023, you know, things are different now. Uh, Men are women and women are men. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The the answer to that is, uh, human nature doesn't change. We're always the same, we have the same temptations, and, and this, again, I'm not giving you like, I'm giving you principles. These principles are universal. They will never exist, always. They never change. It's principles of, of moral theology, of, of common sense even. The other, uh, the other objection. Father, I trust my child. My child is very good. She's always been good, he's always been good. We go back to this, application of law. Okay, this is about uh, a law that has to be applied regarding the occasion of sin. Whether he's good or bad, I have to apply it. Um, The other objection that I don't think I have covered is this will push them away. If I tell my child that he can date like this or he cannot date like that, it's gonna push them away. And they're gonna get out of the house and they're gonna leave. And this is where this becomes important. I cannot do something evil in order to prevent my child from doing something evil so i always have to tell my child what's right and what's wrong as as you pointed out you can do it in very good ways you can try different ways to try not to let them try not to push them away present it explain it to them you know give them room give them some options whatever but the thing is, I cannot tell them to do something that's wrong because otherwise they're going to go away. No, that's my decision has to be based on the morality of the issue, not on the outcome. And so, if my daughter comes and says, "I'm going to live with uh, Ramiro because you know we had an apartment here, and I need your support," I, I there's only one answer I can give you. Obviously, that's that's wrong, and I cannot ac- accept that. But if you know you hate me and this, and I'm going to walk away of the house, uh, that will I. That would destroy me, it would break my heart, I would be very sad about it. But you're asking me to do something that's gonna harm you, or you're gonna do something that's gonna harm you. I'm not gonna harm you, that's all I can say, and I hope you don't harm yourself by doing this wrong decision. Does that make sense? But that's what your child is asking. If they're telling you to do a decision that is wrong, they're saying, hey mom, dad, harm me. Do something that is bad for me. And you have, or I'll leave the house. Well, that's up to you, I can't harm you. Right. I mean, if they told you shoot me or I'll leave the house, you'd be like, well, leave the house. What the heck? It's the exact same thing. This is a spiritual harm that would come on them. And that's a very good argument that you can give them. You're telling me to do something that harms you. I cannot do that. This is not even an option for me. Does that make sense? So that's how you would answer that objection. Um, Okay, I think I need to cut this short. So, Let's go to the end, the last part of the talk, and this is basically the end of it. What are the advantages of all these rules? Because I'm telling you all these things, and it's kind of like, oh, I'm gonna have to talk to a lot of people. Um, There is a lot of advantages to it, and I wanna give you just a few. The first one is that you root out bad pretenders. This is a very good one. If, for example, I'm a lady that I'm 19 years old, and I tell the guy, The only thing we can do, obviously, you wouldn't have that conversation, but at some point you kind of say it like, hey, I'm not allowed to do that. It's only kissing and hello and goodbye. And that's it. No more. And the guy says, like, what? This is crazy and whatever. And if he breaks up with you, good riddance. That's a very good sign that that person did not have what it takes to be a good husband. But if this person says, all right, well, I didn't know that, but I guess I'll I'll stick (coughs) around and we'll, we'll do that like that until we get married very good sign very very good sign that's a very decent person that's someone that wants to do right and when you get married with that person things are going to work out as smoothly as it is possible in this you know life so you get rid of bad pretenders you avoid many errors that happen in the dating stage that can ruin your life we see this all over the place as well in our society uh, you know people that not even thinking of the most grievous one which is obvious but just thinking of you know When you take things too far and then you feel bad about it. And I remember talking before I was a priest. This is when I was a lay person. I was talking to a a lady that was, you know, she was young, but was older than me when we were just friends. And she was telling me that she was telling me, I wish I could go back and save everything for my marriage. I wish I could take, you know, take that back. And I think that's, that's. A common complaint that we could have in human society today. The other obvious one, and the main one, is we avoid sin, we avoid hell, we avoid the loss of our soul, which is also the greatest danger. And finally, the most important one to complete this talk, we avoid a difficult marriage. If a person, and this is what I told the young people when I talked to them, they, this is what I told the border boys after they were crying depressed on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> I told them, this is a protection for you, this is the church telling you, this is the guardrails for you, if you keep it all the way up to marriage, you'll be happy, as happy as it can be in this life. I mean, you will always have problems in a marriage, always. There's no way out of it. I don't know any that doesn't, but, uh, except all of yours. But, uh, <laughs> but if, you, if a person keeps all these rules, you're securing yourself to have a good marriage, as much as it is humanly possible. And so it's for your protection, and, and it's a much better chance that you have to have a good life. If you break the rules, here or there, well, you're going to face consequences. And this is, part, this is what you want to tell your children. These are consequences that is not today or tomorrow. It's the rest of your life. The rest of your life. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. It all You're going to have to carry it all the way up. And so, not worth it. Really not worth it. So, very beautiful rules that the church gives us, and I hope that all made sense. Any questions or comments? No? I'll wait for all the commentaries I, on YouTube.
2: If I could share with the moms my story, and I'm going to try to make it quick. Okay. So, uh, I was Should born... I stop the recording? No. <laughs> I was born and raised in Poland, and uh, when we moved here to America, my youngest son was seven years old. Uh, and he was the one out of two of my children who want to become American so quick and so bad, just to fit in in the group with all his friends and so on and so on. So we obviously were trying to keep the rules in the house. Uh, doesn't matter where we li- live. This is the rules, and you have to follow. and I <laughs> I would just say that for moms to never give up, because basically, because I was with them all day long, so I was the one who forced the rules all the time. And um, one of the rules was, you're not going to have the TV in your room. If you want to watch TV, there is a living room you can go and watch. Well, he was pushing and pushing. All my friends and have it and everybody have it. Well, you're not going to have it. You don't need to TV in your room. Well, then he was so mad and he says, Ma, you are so Polish. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. But, but he's married now. He has two children. And uh, his older one, uh, who is a girl, three and a half years old, so beautiful, so precious, very social, very you know, like entertaining and and sweet, sweet little thing. And she likes to push and get her way. And he's very strict now. So what I'm saying is I thought I lost, but it came back because now he is. And I broke the rules a couple of times would be around her. And I'm like, okay, well then, okay, Juliana, you can have it. And he looks and he will say Mom. These are the rules here. I'm like, hey, yeah, you're so Polish.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just just to let you
2: know, ladies, never give up because there was a moment then he was so rebellious, American, Polish, American teenager. Then I'm like, okay, whether I'm gonna strangle him or I'm gonna (laughs) give up. It was so hard. Well, it seems like right now, it worked. Mm-hmm. It just came back and now I can tell them. Whatever I was pressing and trying to uh, keep him under the rules, now it's coming back because mm-hmm. he knows and the rules are important.
0: Yeah, so. and that's a good point uh, to, to, to finish, but it's a, good, it's a very good point. When you stay, when you stay steady in the yeah. morality...
2: It's not easy,
0: for yeah. and And, for sure. <laughs> and even if, if for a long time they don't accept it, but they always, that's what I always tell you, is they always know where to go back. And so a lot of you might have children that are even very much grown-ups, and, and they might not still be there, but eventually a time comes when they go and say, she was right, you know, he was right. Uh, but if you don't change, if you don't change, they know where to get back at, because they, they see, okay, that, And now I see what they told me. If you change, if you waver, then they lose that, that compass, because they say, well, He changed, my mom changed, whatever changed. And it's like, okay, everybody's like that. So if you remain steady where you are, eventually when life hits them really hard in the head, that's when they say, mom was right, dad was right. So yeah, that's very important. We'll say the prayer to to end, and then I'll tell you the story that I was going to say for the end, if you want. (laughs)
1: We're
0: in page 14. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. O Jesus, eternal word of the Father, Thou hast said, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. We thank Thee for allowing us to listen once more to the words of spiritual instruction. Assist us by Thy grace carefully to preserve them, and devoutly to live according to their holy teaching, that we may thus become pleasing to Thee in this world, and enjoy Thee eternally in the next, who with the Father and the Holy Ghost livest and reignest, one God, world without end. Amen. The prayer for the Irish confraternity O Mary, Immaculate Virgin and Sorrowful Mother, intercede for our children with the divine heart of Jesus, thy Son, who refuses nothing to his mother. Holy Guardian Angels, Saint Joachim, Saint John, much beloved precursor of our Lord, Saint Joseph, powerful patron, Saint Augustine, Saint Anne, Mother of the Blessed Virgin. Pray for them. Saint Rose of Lima. Pray for Saint Monica. Pray for them. All ye holy fathers and mothers. Pray for and for us. All ye holy children. Pray
1: for, them
0: and for us. Prayer. O God, who has given us some of the blessed in heaven as special patrons, grant in thy mercy that we and our children, through the merits of the same and of all the saints, may receive the help of which we stand in need and practice the virtues taught us by their example. May we, O Lord, through the honor we pay them, become worthy of Thy good pleasure and share in their powerful intercession through Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray for the deceased members of the Confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with Thee. Blessed art Thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of Thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour
0: of our death. Amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. And the
1: perpetual them.
0: May they rest in peace. Let us pray for the grace of a happy death for that member of the confraternity who will be the next to die. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy
1: Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen.
0: Let us pray for the intentions especially recommended to our prayers today. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus.
1: Holy Mary.
0: Let us pray for the intentions of all members of the ark of the confraternity. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy
1: Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death.
0: Let us pray, O sweet Lord Jesus Christ, for the love of Thy most sacred heart. We beseech Thee to have pity upon all whom we have recommended to Thy mercy, and to aid them with Thy grace. Who livest and reignest with God the Father and the Holy Ghost, forever and ever. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. Our prayer for the children. Look, most holy Mother of our Lord, upon the great number of children who, through the fault and negligence of their parents, stray in the path of iniquity and vice. Have mercy on so many poor young souls who might be saved but who will not, either because their mothers are ignorant of their duties or unwilling to fulfill them. Remember the bitter passion and cruel death endured by Thy divine Son for those poor children. Permit not that His great love, His infinite merits be lost to them for the sake of that keenest of all sorts that pierced Thy tender heart when You stood at the foot of the cross. Obtain for those erring mothers the grace of their vocation. Obtain likewise for their children the spirit of obedience and grateful love, that the desires of the sweet heart of Jesus may be fulfilled by both parents and children. Amen. Prayer for the Arch Confraternity. O glorious Queen of Heaven and Earth, thou art the chosen patroness of all Christian mothers. Bless then the Arch Confraternity. May it spread far and wide. Obtain, we beseech thee, that all mothers may seek protection in its bosom and under its guidance become perfectly what thou would have them and what they ought to be, truly Christian mothers, thine images and worthy representatives with their children. O thou most pure, most compassionate, mother of the divine Savior, and of all the children of the Heavenly Father, who have been regenerated in the Holy Sacrament of Baptism. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. O Mary, my mother, to thee do I flee. Amen. Thy heart is so gentle, so loving, so mild. O Mary, my mother, I'm longing to see that heaven of glory is so purely than known. Amen. Amen. I'll give you a blessing. Thank you for listening to The Catholic Wire.
1: If you have found this show helpful, please say a prayer for all our collaborators. Don't forget to subscribe to our channels and share with your friends. For questions and comments, you may contact us at thecatholicwire.org.